Ta-da! Awesome. All right. All right, for those of you <laughs> who are on home office tonight, everything's a little different behind me, all that wonderful stuff, and I got my Space Age uh, headset on, uh, so hopefully things will be a little bit different uh, recording-wise and all that wonderful stuff that goes across. Uh, but even if it isn't, the information should still be good. I've been told that the audio is great, uh, video not so much, especially those of you on ginormous screens. Um, sorry. So uh, given the fact that 80% of the people are watching on their phones, I'm trying to strike a happy medium and not pay a gazillion dollars to give free information. So anyway, I don't think anybody really thinks about that, right? They, they want stuff from their teacher, right, and often as – as cheap as they can get it. Uh, just see the amount of emails that I get. <laughs> Sorry, these things make me laugh. Uh, a couple weeks ago, a month or two ago, something like that, I don't know, there's all kind of bleeding together. Received an email from someone in Portland, Oregon. I live in Pennsylvania, so look it up on a map, Google it, right? If you're not, if you're not familiar with this, right? It's in Portland, Oregon, right? He sent me several emails, and across these several emails, he sent his address, his phone number, and asked me if I would fly to Portland, Oregon, and train him in his apartment. I'll stop right there and let that sink in. So, the big question is this. How are self-defense and success-minded people like us Concerned citizens worried about protecting ourselves, our loved ones, and the things we care about from the monsters we know exist in the world. How do we train in a way that gives us the skills, knowledge, and understanding we need without becoming paranoid fighters or killers ourselves, and yet still allows us to be the hero protector the world needs us to be? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Jeffrey Miller, and welcome to Kuden Radio, real training for real people in a real world. Okay, now we got all that cool, shameless plug for what we're doing uh, out and on things. So, uh, yeah, um, I did not respond to the email. I responded to some other ones where he was asking, you know, for answer, asking for a couple of questions and things like that. And uh, we got on the phone and discussed some things. And I even sent him a complimentary uh, uh, lesson or 15 uh, to check it out. And then I'd follow up, you know, afterwards once he was ready. You just needed to let me know. So apparently he um, isn't ready or uh, only wanted free stuff. So anyway, uh, so I, I didn't have the heart to tell him it was going to cost him between five and ten grand for me to come out there and train him for two or three days. Okay, I know. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money, Sensei. Why would you do that? Right? You're supposed to be compassionate. I am. I have a family to feed. Uh, I spent... God, but I, the last time I did the math on this was coming close to quarter of a million dollars over the last 40 some years for my own training. Time, time away from work, time away from family, bruises, all those kind of things, right? Um, so yeah, Hatsumi Sensei, same thing, right? Stephen Hayes, same thing. All my teachers, right? All of them, right? I remember one time we were in class in uh, Home Dojo and, uh, Hatsumi Sensei was, um, it was actually unraveling these um, you know, this cloth that had spear tips in it, right? And the point he was making, well, the first thing he did was open these things up, right, so we could all move in and 
drool and ogle over these things, right? It didn't have the shafts on them because these things were hundreds of years old, hundreds, right? And so what he was talking about was um, the time and effort and resources and, yes, expense of training for somebody who's serious um, was it was pretty high, right? Martial training is pretty uh, expensive, right? Uh, and what he was talking about was how, uh, I don't know, months before he uh, discovered these scrolls of a now defunct lineage in a uh, basically what we would call a used bookstore uh, in Japan and was studying these things, right? And he hit a point where he couldn't go any farther with reading or, you know, even if he had video, right? He could only go so far. So the next step was actual experience. Well, how do you do that? Well, he found, I think it was three or four of these spear tips um, that were antiques, right, from this school, okay? So there's even more study and research, right? And dropped the equivalent of $30,000 U.S. to buy them. And the next plan was to have them attached to the staffs so he could trade with them to get a better feel for weight distribution and the way it would cut and, and those kind of things to better understand the way the technique was supposed to work, right? And that was a point that he was making, right, that martial training is expensive. Uh, I, I've taken numerous students to Japan, and often, you know, some do the touristy thing and buy touristy Japanese things, right? And others, uh, you know, because I take them to other martial arts uh, schools as well. There's a really cool one in uh, Kyoto, right, near the Heian Shrine. It's, uh, I don't know, three, four blocks maybe. It's down the street from it and around the corner. And uh, if you didn't know what you were looking at, it would be easy to miss because it just looks like a small temple, right? Except it's a martial arts school that goes all the way back to Shogun times. Right? So I take students there and, and uh, you know, uh, I take them to some uh, Japanese martial arts supply stores. And very quickly they realize how many hundreds of dollars, let's say it was a Kudo class that I took them to, right? One for archery, right? So Hakama and the Dogi and, the, you know, the bow, the Yumi, and uh, a couple of arrows, right? The Ya, uh, and, and whatever other things they need. So uh, a couple of my guys bought some Hakama one year, right? And they bought the cheap Hakama, right? And those Hakama set them back 100, 150 bucks, right, per thing, right? I know Americans are like, oh, can you find a coupon somewhere, right? Because the joke in Japan is Americans will pay full price for anything, right? Unless you go to Japan, which you have no choice. So um, uh, these people are spending a couple hundred dollars just to get dressed, right? And uh, so we're talking probably close to a thousand dollars. $750,000 on the budget side just to step on the dojo floor for their first class. Okay? And everybody around here wants to find a Groupon. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, uh, but he was making the point that it's expensive, but it's also uh, like insurance. 
right? It should be seen in the same light as insurance, which is the same way I frame this stuff, not just to my, my dojo students, but to um, my corporate uh, clients and prospects, right? That this should not be seen as an expense, like a training expense or whatever, right? Because we're going way past the training, right? There's planning and there's there's organizing and there's strategic thinking and there's systems being put in place and all that uh, in the dojo too, right? Uh, we'll talk about that here in a minute. But it should be seen as insurance, right? Because this is the insurance that pays off regularly. So the other one, the other type that everybody's more familiar with, right, doesn't have to pay off. Because for that to pay off, you are beaten, broken, or dead, and somebody else is getting the money, right? So uh, the, the point that he was making was, you know, if you're training correctly, not just learning moves, not just learning techniques, right? Um, if you're training correctly, the longer you do it and the better you get, the less likely you are to have to use the physical skills. Okay. I say physical skills because there's a whole bunch of other things going on that people either play lip service to or they don't even think about. And those are some of the things we're going we're to look at tonight. Right. So uh, I say tonight because it's give or take 8 p.m. where I am right in the world, uh, but you'll have to make the adjustment. I mean, the Eastern time zone. So <clears throat> anyway, um, so... He was talking about, you know, needing this. And, and that's been my experience as well. I mean, it's been well over a decade since somebody has challenged me, threatened me, anything like that, right? Um, and I think it, I think a lot goes into how you carry yourself, right? Because, again, you know, as warriors, we're walking the sword's edge. And what that means is, yes, if you screw up during a training or if you do it wrong, Miyagi-sensei would have said, you know, you walk in the middle of the road, right? If you walk the left side and don't ever do martial arts, safe. Walk on the right side, do it, and you're all in, safe. You kind of do it, and you walk down the middle of the road, right? Uh, it's kind of like a grape getting run over, right? Sooner or later, you're going to get squished like that grape, right? So it's the same thing, right? It's it's not, it's not walking around with that arrogant, I got my shit together, come to me, I'm going to kill you kind of thing. Because anybody that knows, that's actually been in the world and been around violent people, know that that chip on your shoulder, I'm the guy or girl kind of attitude, oh, it's like a shit magnet to other people that think that they're the guy or the girl, Right? It's just it just attracts them, right? Like flies to shit. It's just you know. So yeah, you're gonna need your stuff because you're walking around with a big old freaking target on your chest, right? Um, but it's also not acquiescing, right? Um, you know the people that um, you know, they, they and I talked about this before, right? Where they they. Say that they're a peaceful person. I'm not doing that martial arts stuff. I'm not doing that self-defense stuff. I'm not getting involved in those kind of things because I'm a peaceful person. No. No. You've chosen to speak very softly and blissfully and uh, that fake enlightenment stuff that, uh, not my words, uh, came out of my YouTube training, right? Uh, the acting out of blissfulness because you're just hoping and praying silently 
in the darkness of your bedroom at late at night that the monsters never come because you chin yourself. I don't mean you because you guys are all perfect, right? So, uh, you know, um, but anyway, so he was talking about how, the, you know, this, this is an investment and, and all that kind of stuff, right? Which really makes people uncomfortable, right? Uh, and I think it's, I think it's just ironic, right, that uh, people go to Japan uh, and spend thousands, right, to get there, to do the training, to stay, even on a budget, right? My students, when they go with me, um, not counting any extra classes they do out of their pocket, right? Airfare, uh, hotel, traveling around. Now, we do get a JR pass to make traveling to some other historical sites a little bit easier and all that, right? Plus the extra couple hundred bucks for a train uh, that's not covered by the JR passes. Uh, class fees at the dojo, right, range between U.S. If, if, the, if the yen dollar or the yen penny is one-to-one, right, then 100 yen would be 100 cents or one U.S. dollar. Um, is costing people, give or take, 2800 to $3,000. I spend way more than that uh, because I do way more training uh, and I'm there for other reasons, right? So, um, but they go, they drop all this money. And some people are there two, three times a year. And then they go back and they either give the students the training for free or like, way low budget rates, lower than what maybe other martial arts schools are, are, are teaching for. Or here, here's a better context, right? Because we're doing private training, right? And it, it doesn't have to be one-on-one, right? But if you think about what it would cost to have a lesson at a country club with a tennis pro or a golf pro, right? I live in a semi-rural area, and people are paying 30 to $50 um, for half an hour for a session, right? So, okay, great. <laughs> Not saying that we need to be charging that, but that's what's charging in Japan, right? 25 to uh, $35 an hour, US. Again, when it's a one-to-one split, there was one year that I opted to not go because what would have normally been a $35 class with Hatsumi Sensei that year was in the range of 60 bucks. The dollar tanked big time. But anyway, um, so, uh, but they're just like giving it away. And I remember when I was doing this, right? When I first started out and I had a training group and my teachers told me I needed bodies to work with. So start a training group, right? Okay. Well, my first, my first thing was, well, I'm not a black belt. Um, I, how, how can I teach? And they were like, uh, you know more than the people you'd be teaching, right? When it comes to to this stuff, yes. Okay. Well, you got to charge them something. Okay. Well, I, I don't feel right charging them something. I had this statement about the whole money thing. Well, we don't live in ancient Japan, so nobody's coming to the dojo and working for a year doing menial labor, cleaning the floors and the dojo and all that, hoping that at some point they prove themselves to me, uh, and they're not just idly curious, and so then I'll start teaching them. But there's that trade-off, right? The student works, brings money, food, and all that kind of stuff to the dojo, so the teacher doesn't have to. But Western students don't like doing that, so, you know, they want to come and do their training and go. Anyway, so um, uh, one of my teachers very, very early on, right, said, well, you got to charge them something, right? What, what commitment, what level of commitment do they have? Or what skin do they have in the game? 
if they know that you will spend hundreds to go to a seminar in the States or Canada or whatever at that time, right? Or I think then I was stationed with the U.S. Army in what was then West Germany. And so hundreds would have meant going up to Liverpool when Stephen Hayes came over there to do training uh, or going someplace else for some other instructor. But I stayed within Europe, right? Uh, more if I flew back to the States. And, and that was, I still tried to cut things as much as possible. But, um, you know, we're talking mid to late 80s. And I would take out a $1,000 loan that I would pay back with payroll deduction over time uh, to go to a three-day or five-day seminar back in the States. And that had to pay for hotel and airfare and all kinds of stuff, right? So food, right? That eats you know, a bunch of it, even if you <laughs> try to eat crackers and drink water. Anyway, so, uh, but he said, you know, what's, what, what vested interest do they have in really, really learning things if they know that you'll go and spend all this money, get the stuff, and then bring it back and give it to them for free? Okay. And sure enough, like I didn't believe it was, was true. And he said, like, charge them two bucks a class, five bucks a class. Nothing really major, right? Um, if that'll make you feel better, right? So um, this was after I hosted a seminar, flew him from the States, spent a whole bunch of money, uh, barely broke even on the thing, right? After airfare and his fee and food and lodging. He didn't have to go first class like a lot of instructors do. Um, but I also didn't, like put him in my kid's bedroom, you know, for, for the weekend. Uh, not exactly respectful for my teacher. Here, you sleep here. I know it smells like urine, but sleep there. Anyway, so um, uh, sure enough, the next week I said, uh, we did one more class, and I said starting next class, um, classes are going to be $2 a class. And, uh, again, these were like military guys or, uh, there was a couple of, uh, younger ones, like teenagers and stuff. They were older teenagers. Um, so the parents would bring them so they could, they could train and all that and they'd take them back home and all that. And, uh, this parent goes, why? What's that money going for? And I said, my own training. It's to help me recoup some of the money that I spend so that I can give this information. I lost 75% of the group. And I only had a group of like eight people. So I was down to two or three. So maybe that's not 75%, but I was down to two or three starting the next week over two bucks. Okay. Because now they suddenly had to pay and it wasn't being given to them for nothing. Interesting, huh? Okay. What's the trade off? Where's the trade in value? Right. The teacher has spent all this time learning, getting the bruises, all that kind of stuff. Right. And for a promise to be the prodigal son. Um, anyway. So uh, there, there's this investment. Right. Um, but you know, a lot of people still do the and I, and I get it. Right. Doing the do it yourself kind of thing because they, uh, you know, they, they know just enough about the thing so they know the name, right? So they'll do a Google search or they'll do a search on YouTube for anything with the word ninja, ninja zoo, 
Bujin Khan, whatever, right? They don't know what they're looking at quality-wise or credentials or anything like that. But then they'll spend a lot of time just surfing around and watching videos and maybe downloading and saving some. But I have to ask myself, how much actual training and practice are they doing with each one of those techniques, right? So, again, that's another focus of something I'm going to talk about here in a minute. But let's, uh, let's uh, let me share another little story here with you. Uh, a couple of years back, I was in the dojo, uh, Isuka Sensei's dojo in, uh, in Japan, which is not too far away from a home dojo. It's about a 20 minute walk, but anyway. So I'm in this dojo and we're working on, uh, this one kata from, it was just a first level transmission. I think it was called Dodiu, but don't quote me on it. But anyway, we're working on this technique and I'm working with a black belt who's there with some of his students. So he's an instructor. Right? Work with this guy. And, um, uh, you know, we're, we're doing our thing back and forth. It's one of, these, it's one of the 70% of the techniques that, you know, the uke throws a, a ski and you go back into a, a non-ame kind of position with uh, each monji seigan, something like that. And then there's, you know, these follow-ups, right? And uh, we're going back and forth and, like, just <laughs> there's urges in within me, right? Um, because he's leaving this god-awful opening, right? He's within range, and there's this huge opening that should not be there if the angling and the kumai are correct, right? And so, anyway, what he was doing is taking a bigger step to the side and ending up with this bigger angle and leaving this thing open, right? And it was uh, it was the mommy-daddy button that, you know, most of us guys do not want to leave open uh, under that context, right? Because otherwise you get a lump in your throat that you used to be at him. And you just all want the, or what? Anyway, so... Um, I finally stopped him. I said, I don't mean to make any corrections. I know you're a black belt, all that kind of stuff. It's not about that, but I just need to know that, I just need you to know that every time you go back into Kamai, like, I want to kick you in the groin, right? Not to be malicious, but because it's open and because I can reach it. And without missing a beat, he looked at me and said, well, that's okay. I don't have to worry about that because this content doesn't have a kick in it. I don't, know how long, I don't know how long it was that I just kind of stood there and then I finally just said, oh, okay, my, my mistake, never mind. I went back to training, right? But at my first opportunity, I switched out training partners, okay? Now, I told you a story. I know it's a short story, right? It kind of made it bigger and juicier and all that. But anyway, um, I told you that story so I can ask you a question, okay? What do you think his students are getting? What, uh, better question, what do you think his students are not getting? Because what I did say before I said, okay, my mistake was, my mistake, I thought you always had to worry about being kicked in the groin or punched in the throat or whatever. If the attacker can see it and he can reach it, If somebody shifted out of the way and you know blocked you or covered your arms or whatever, and his groin was right there and it was an easy shot, wouldn't you take it? Right? I would. It's right there, right? But to turn around and say I don't have to worry about a kick during this kata because there's not a kick in it or a kick defense in it completely eliminates 
or or sidesteps or or uh, just it's just ignorance, right? In a real situation, we're training to be ready for real situations. When we're learning a new technique, even if we know a bunch of stuff, right? And God help you, if you know a lot, then you should look like you know a lot, right? I, this 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 cop that could be new, brand new, right? So it might take me three to five repetitions. Um, that was the limitation that the Gato Sensei put on things, right? It shouldn't take you more than his thing was that it shouldn't take you more than two or three times to know boom, 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 and then you can start exploring the why, right? What kind of control does, does this give you? All, all those kind of things, right? But um, when you get a new technique and you're working on a new kata, that's hitting shit on everything else that you've learned, all the other principles and concepts like timing, distancing, angling, and whatnot, right? One school may do it a little bit differently and may have a different angle, may have a different timing, may have a different whatever, right? But I've yet to see one from any of the schools that leave stuff open. And the ones that do look like they left stuff something open, like shifting 90 degrees, like a kukishinden kind of thing where you shift 90 degrees, right? And it looks like your groin is lined up with his other leg, and somebody might say, well, yeah, but can he kick you? And I look at my partner, and they go, uh, no, I'm off balance. I can't move a foot. Okay, It's not like I can't move a foot without falling down. My body's in a position that I have to do something to fix the body before I can move my legs. So if you're doing things correctly, even when it looks like there's an opening, there isn't. His, there was an opening, right? So weight distribution, hips over feet, those kind of things to where, you know, you can, you can move at least one leg in one move without moving your torso first, right? So that somebody can't catch you with a quick sweep or you know, whatever, right? Um, if that's not happening, then, and I learned this as a white belt, then you come by, it's shit, it's wrong, right? So if you can't step or kick with one leg without shifting or moving your torso or whatever first, or moving your weight more, whatever, right? Getting ready to get around to chambering for, right? It's just bad math, right? So anyway, um, so here's the question, right? Um, it, it really begets what people are getting because because a lot of people that are coming for training, right? I mean, think about when I first started, right? Uh, I told you my story a long, you know, a couple of, a long, long time ago. It was like three, four episodes. Anyway, so remember, I made that vow to myself that I was going to learn everything that I could possibly learn, okay? Uh, so that I wouldn't live in fear and so I would be capable of handling, uh, you know, these animals and monsters when they came. But that journey of learning was not, just what I see a lot of people doing where it's just going around and just taking everything at face value, right? This teacher says, do it this way. This is the way this style does it. And da, 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 right. Um, I had been beaten and battered and kicked and, uh, you know, and then add in law enforcement and, you know, uh, almost shot with my own gun and knives and clubs and all kinds of crap. Right. So uh, you can't, Tell me that something works without not just showing me, but explaining how in a, in that actual violent rage filled bubble, right? Um, me with gross motor skills because of the adrenal response, right? Um, impaired faculties, right? It's a whole different mental state and all that. How certain things are going to work when they're just, they're, they're shit. Right. Uh, I, I remember one time, well, more than one time, uh, Hasmi Sensei 
and, and those of you who've been around for a while and you've trained in Japan, or even gone to Taikais and things like that, right? You know that one of the things that Hatsumi Sensei would always do was have somebody come out and demonstrate, right? And then he'd have, you know, they demonstrate a technique, right? He wouldn't tell them what to demonstrate, he just said, mm, teach, right? So they come out, they do something, and then, you know, he'd say, okay, play, right? So we'd go practice that thing that the person did, right? And, you know, a lot of us, if we saw shit, we'd go, okay, <laughs> let's, let's go try this out, right? So, what most of us would do was fix errors and things like that. But here was this cool little thing that would happen that I don't know how many people actually noticed, right? Very quickly, we learned that Hatsumi Sensei was teaching through these other people's demonstrations. Okay, And a couple of times, he actually verbalized it. But here, here was what would happen, right? If you watch any of the old videos of Taikai or classes or whatever, right? You'll see this. You can watch for it. You'll see it, right? If the technique is good, we could be practicing that technique for 20 to 45 minutes or longer, right? Hatsumi Sensei would just do variation upon variation or point out you could do this thing or this thing or that was good and, you know, whatever, right? Or this will make it better, you know, that kind of thing, right? If it was a good technique, and even the master teachers would do it too. They got to Sensei, uh, whatever, right? Um, just play off of it, right? It's good. It's, it's, oh, we're, hey, this is a good thing, right? Boom, right? Just play off of it. The other thing we learned is if you, if you were called out to do a demonstration, you were going to be the uke for all of these things. So, uh, but anyway, right? It would, that, that lesson would, would go on for a long time, right? Um, and other times somebody would demonstrate and we'd go off and then we'd come, he'd call us back and he'd call somebody else out to, to teach. That's a shit technique, right? Okay. And every once in a while, he would explain it. He would say, um, the, the people that were seniors and, and had skill, right? He said, if you actually have the skill you're supposed to have, when I call someone out to demonstrate, you should know the difference between a good technique and a technique that will get you killed or a demonstration of something that will get you killed. Okay? If you don't, then I don't care what your rank is. You're, you're, you're not there. Okay. And a lot of people are still stuck in infant kind of thing that they're just echoing back. Like my, my little grandson, right? He turns two next, uh, next month, but he's talking and everything, but he's hit that phase. Everybody has to kind of watch what they're saying, right? Because as soon as you say it, he's, he's developed a linguistic ability to parrot it back, or at least the best that he can, right? But he just echoes it back, right? But there's a lot of people in martial arts and self-defense programs that are doing the exact same thing. Right. If that's what's shown, there's an automatic assumption that this person knows what they're talking about, so they just do it. Right. And they just take it as gospel. Right. But one of the lessons that some sensei, uh, you know, tried to make clear, especially with the upper level people. Uh, I remember when I took my, when I took my, uh, test for Godan, right, my fifth on test, right. Um, I'm sitting there and, you know, uh, you know, it's just, there's all kinds of, stress and all that. And one of my things, and I was taught this by one of the other master teachers, right? It was to sit there and the only thing you're going to use your left brain for is to say to whoever's administering the test at that time it was okay, right? Uh, just, you don't say it out loud. You just say it in your head. Hit me, please. And you have that willingness to get hit. Because if you're really engaging the, that part of the right brain that's that's going to save you, right? You have to do that. 
because if you're using your left brain to try to figure out when it's coming, and paranoia is ruling it, it's the wrong part of the brain. It's it's not the it's not the right part. So anyway, people are getting hit. They're they're done. They're you know, failed, leaving the room and all that. I'm sitting there and I'm having these false starts, right? And I, I know part of it was that part of me that I, I said hit me, you know, whatever. I'm trying to go through this. And I, like, I'm jerking and whatnot. And finally, he stops me and he looks over at the 10th dots because we didn't have 15 dots at that time, right? 10th dots, right? And he said, every one of you should be able to watch somebody who's coming up here to sit and know on their way up whether they can and will pass this test or not. I can do that, and I expect that you can do it as well. That's why you'll see that, you know, that I truly do believe that he gave me every opportunity to pass that test. Because other people, they sat down, had that little smug look on or whatever, or that enlightened, I'm ready kind of thing. Pow! Maybe next time. Um, so there, there are these abilities beyond just being able to do techniques, right? Can you look at what somebody else is doing, including in another martial art? Can you get out of your own freaking egocentric, megalomaniac kind of mindset that says whatever I'm doing is perfect, even if you encounter whatever you're doing by accident and decided to do it suddenly? Ego's like, no, oh, of course. If it wasn't the perfect thing, if it wasn't right, I wouldn't be doing it. doesn't use those words, but it's that feeling, right? That's why we knock other martial arts. We we'll knock other martial arts. Any of these people, somebody who's untrained, can pop you. Okay? That usually becomes because you're overconfident and smug and you believe that what you're doing is best and nobody can get it on you. Right? But... Uh, there's no best, right? At best, needs to gives you more options and doesn't limit you to a stylized, okay? And if you think it does, then uh, you're confused, okay? Uh, anyway, so, uh, but anyway, there's this, there's this thing, right? So I have to ask myself, what else is this student, or is this teacher not giving their students? What else are these students not getting? Right. And see, I didn't, I had encountered this along my journey. Because remember, I made that vow, right? And then I set out to learn all this stuff. And, um, I, one of the first things that, that I, I had to figure out was, was this stuff in line with what I knew to be true about violent situations? Because I was surrounded by students in class who had never experienced violence. They were afraid of experiencing it, or they had experienced it to some degree and were worried about worse. So, but when they joined the class and they started learning this stuff, that it's like they suspended belief, right? So, um, as a matter of fact, I, I had a student at one point way back. He was actually a Vietnam vet and uh, a really tough guy. His name was Tom. Really, really tough guy. <laughs> uh, anyway, lots of stories about Tom. But anyway, uh, I remember one time in class we were discussing this stuff about, you know, the people that typically uh, stay with my classes or attracted or whatever have, have been attacked, right? So when I describe these things that 
they understand. Okay, inside this bubble, that's how I felt. That's how you know my body was doing this or not doing this or whatever, right? So here's how we here's how we handle that. Okay, cool, right? Um, and I said, by all means, keep me honest, right? If 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 you believe that what I'm telling you or showing you doesn't work or doesn't match your uh, view of reality, call me on it, right? Because I will I will explain the scenario the the mindset of this particular attacker type, why we're doing what we're doing. Not just because he threw a punch. Not just because our style is go to Ichimonji, do the... No, okay? What's what's the rationale of these people who survived murderous battles thousands of years ago, right? What was the rationale that they passed in based on the scrolls and were passing on? It was about survival, right? It was not about... Okay, so uh, I was talking about this stuff, and I said, and, you know, and if it still doesn't make sense, there's the door, man. I mean, just, you know, I don't deserve to have students that are trying to save their lives if I'm full of it. That's just the reality of things. Okay, and Tom spoke up, and he said, that's not with, well, that's why I'm not with uh, these other instructors, because I have a hard, fast rule, right? If I get involved in a program or I start learning from somebody, uh, and I think that they're full of it, if I think I can take them, but what he said was, if I think I can kick their ass, uh, two things happen. One, I do that, and then two, I quit the class and go find something better, right? And so I looked over with a smile on my face, and I said, hmm, I'm not sure where that puts me. And he said, I haven't gone anywhere yet. And I said, and yes, the operative word. <laughs> so anyway, right, so... But, you know, I, like, there's, there was a lot of these things that happened. So, and, and one of the conflicts that I encountered in learning this stuff, right, um, was in the approach, okay? It's, again, you know how I like to break things into threes and stuff, so I'll talk about three here uh, quickly. But um, remember, you know, I, terrorizes a child, right, beaten up, even into, well into high school, right? Uh, and then I became a cop. So I get to see all the other types of violence and violent people and shit that human beings would do to each other, right? Uh, including ones who loved each other. Or, excuse me, or at least said they did. And, uh, uh, so I had, you know, I, I had this, this thing, right? And, uh, so anyway, so, what I started to see is that there were like three, the, again, these are the big kind of things, right? Three of these big dominoes, right? Um, the one big domino is clarity and either have the experience, if you have the experience of dealing with violence, win or lose, you know, because I've had students that were stabbed and left for dead and were training with me because they know what it was like inside that bubble. Um, uh, you know, either have that or be training with somebody who has that, right? That's, that's the one that'll take care of all these things I talk about, right? But there were basically three, um, three false approaches, three crappy kind of things, right? Um, that are being shoved down or nicely spoon fed into students that if you are self-defense minded, 
if you are survival minded, you have to be careful of, right? So there's a modern online version of each of these things. Uh, but what I dealt with when I was going through it, right? Uh, sorry, the internet was what a 1980. I mean, it, it was in, it was in universities in the 70s something, right? But it's very close. What we now would call an intranet, right? But the World Wide Web popped out into existence in like the early to mid 80s, I think, right? To where it went commercial, right? Because I mean, when you went on in the early days through AOL and for those of you who are old enough to remember that, right? Uh, most of your searches turned up like university papers and, and stuff like that. It was not it was not commercial like it is today. But anyway, right? so I went through, um, you know, training group or school or whatever. So meeting these people like face-to-face. -face. So at least you could tell them they were screwed um, or they were going to kill somebody face-to-face -face and they didn't get to hide behind a web page or, or, you know, a podcast or whatever. So... <laughs> Anyway, I laugh at this stuff, but it, it, there's nothing else to do but laugh. And if I got pissed off about it, then it would just consume me and waste time, right? I don't have time to deal with people like that. I know how to spot it, and you know, so that's my, that's my uh, one of my teachers, special Momshin, used to say that uh, you know, uh, my shit meter, right? It's very sensitive. <laughs> Right. So anyway, uh, so there's three of these, right? So one, uh, they're in no particular order, right? One of these um, is the 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 we'll call, call we'll call it the vehicle, right? So it's the style, right? So somebody's taking a an ancient traditional style, okay, yuha, whatever you want to call it, right? That. Um, Work whether it works or not, right? And they're presenting it in a way that uh, pretty much confines it to the fact that you know we should all be acting like we live in ancient Japan or China or Korea or whatever, right? And nothing has changed. Okay, so then they're going to say, okay, we you know we're, we're only going to do it this way, right? And so this is how you're going to protect yourself in. In today's world, except that's not what happens, right? When I was in dojo and dojang and, and things like that, uh, that did that, right? What 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 I saw, and maybe you can relate to this. What what I saw was like it, it felt like I was doing three different styles or systems or whatever in the same place, but it all had the same name, right? So we had kata, which typically was solo, right? Um, so we had these kata, right? That were these classical things that got passed along, right? And then we had the self-defense portion of class, which was typically like somebody grabbed you or, you know, whatever, right? You did these things. And that didn't look anything like the classical stuff that was passed down. And then we had sparring that didn't look anything like the kata or the self-defense stuff. Well, that was confusing. Because if the kata is the magical stuff that was passed down, why, why is that not the self-defense stuff, right? In this system, at least my approach to it, my teachers, whether they were Japanese or Western, approach to this was if you learn something, um, okay, how do you do that against a jab? How do you do that against a right cross? How do you do it? Against, of course, you have to learn it first. You learn the model first, but then how do you do that against, um, hopefully, that little glitch and 
frozen on my screen didn't come across from you. But how do you how do you apply that against the 21st century, in my case, Western uh, fighter? But if you're one of my guys in India or Pakistan or uh, Macau or whatever, right? Whatever your local fighters are like, right? How do you apply those things that way, right? And you can. You just have to understand that the principles and concepts rule the day so that you don't rue the day, right? Um, because that's how the techniques are built, right? The physical form, and this goes back to those of you that, that study Mikyo with me, right? With this uh, this uh, one teaching called the Heart Sutra, right? It has nothing to do with this, right? Heart means core, essential nature, right? And what it points to is that anything physical, right? I don't care if it's my laptop that I'm looking at or this lamp or the chair I'm sitting on, my body or whatever, right? Um, is comprised of what we would call the formless. It was only called formless way back in the day because these things are so tiny that your eyes and sensory uh, things can't, can't perceive them, right? So the form is the kata. The form is what things look like, but it's not what they are, okay? These things are built from principles and concepts, invisible skills, soft skills, the strategic thinking, assessment, timing, distancing, angling, kazoosh, balance breaking, mine and his, right? All these kind of things, right? That are being taught by this form as long as we're paying attention to more than just where did he step with his foot or the fact that he stepped with his right foot, struck with his left hand, that kind of thing, right? And, of course, those things are important in the beginning, right? Because here's this form that's going to be the, the structure for the lesson for a bit, Right uh, before we start breaking the form, and then before we trans uh, transition uh, beyond the form, right? It's the Shuhari model. So, um, but anyway, there's this there's this thing where it's being taught, and then people are taught that just learn this, right? This is this this will do it, right? Except that they never or almost never train using the same things against somebody throwing more realistic, modern techniques. And when they do, then the form just all falls apart. Everything just goes to hell in the handbasket, right? Uh, and that's why during sparring, people that are good at that, you'll see that of all the strikes, of all the punches they've learned in their system, they've got one or two favorites. Of all the kicks they've learned, they got one or two favorites, right? Same thing with grabs or takedowns or whatever, right? Um, because the, the, what you also find is that those people are typically more intuitive when it comes to fighting or, or managing situations under stress and things like that than, than other people. So, but anyway, so, but there's this thing, right, where you have this, again, a canned program kind of thing, right? And then you have, um, you have the, <laughs> I'm going to call it the, uh, this is kind of an external approach, but um, it's the instructors that just throw out a boatload of techniques, right? And, and it's, there's a problem with students as well because the student wants, they want more, right? So instead of working on a couple that will handle the most likely things you're going to deal with, right, what they do is they, they just want more and more and more, and they're not good at any of them, right? It's that, that uh, jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none kind of saying that we have here in the States, it's like, translates it to other places or not, but um, so just, they just keep collecting more, right? 
So, you know, online, you have people that are teaching something and saying that it's for self-defense, but everything is very rigid and very, it's stylized. It's, here's, here are your lessons, right? So, uh, great. When are we getting to self-defense for me in the 21st century, uh, century in northeastern United States where people attack this way? Okay. I don't know. Right. Um, then the other guy, right. Uh, and I know this, right. Because during some research that I just did to put together this program that I'm re-releasing, right. This foundation of Ninja self-defense thing, which should be releasing here this weekend. Um, there's, uh, you know, I, I researched what other people were offering. Okay. And I went online and actually bought their stuff. Okay. And what I typically found was like, you know, bought this guy's thing, right? And then, uh, he, oh, since you have that, right? And what it promised me was, I don't know, 50, 60 techniques. Wow. That's, that's a lot, right? That's going to take me quite a while to train in, right? And then there was this like upsell, right? Oh, you know, you really want to be safe, right? Then, you know, get this package. And, you know, so that's, so this first one's like 37 bucks. And then this next one is like, I don't know, 47, 67, whatever, right? This next thing, right? And, you know, they're, that's one, that one's promising. Another, who knows, 150, 200 techniques, right? Handle every possible scenario. Learn this one and this one and this one and this. Oh, holy shit. Okay. Uh, yeah, why not? No, I was doing research. So I was like, yeah, okay, let's see what else you got, right? So I got that, right? And sure enough, drops me on another page. I don't know if you've been through these things, right? I mean, my things have that, but I'm not throwing up more stuff on you, right? Uh, it should answer the next question. Like, my logic is, okay, I have these things. What if I get stuck? How do I ask you questions? How do I get checked on it to make sure I'm learning it right? So, to me, coaching should be next. On the things I'm currently that I was just given. Not, oh, by the way, let's give you a ton more shit and leave you to your own devices, right? But there's a bunch of students out there that want... As much as, remember that vow I made, right? I wanted to, I wanted to learn everything I possibly could and all that. Well, that's that's a lot, right? So, uh, but anyway, right? But they're just like throwing up on you. I mean, that's what it feels like. Here's it more, right? Right here. Give me a couple extra bucks. Doc, boom. Here. So I get that one, right? Sure enough, there's another one. Ah, but see, deal with somebody armed with a knife or if you have a knife or whatever, right? So here's this other program with all this other stuff, right? So uh, once I got that in the Mac, because I paid for that too, right? I paid a hundred some bucks for this whole thing to get the to get the education as to what people were throwing out there. Okay? Because like if you only look at what's on the front end, you don't you don't see how they process. Like are they gonna give me something to help me learn this stuff after that or what and most of them are not. They're just like, here's some more, right? Here's some more. And and I can see where a lot of students would be like, yeah, give me more. Look at all the stuff that I have, right? 25 years worth of stuff. Boy, it's going to keep you busy for a while, but I don't need to pay for anything else. I got it all. Really? Well, knowing human nature, you got it all, and it's collecting cyber dust on a hard drive. Anyway. So, but then when this thing shows up in the mail, what I ended up with was a DVD from some other instructor. It wasn't even the same person teaching. So he just sold me some program from somebody else, right? So, hmm. 
Anyway, so there's that, right? So it's just, the, the, there's just, it's all, it's all about the techniques. It's all about the moves, right? So, but I don't have to memorize dozens of moves if I understand the principles and concepts that are being conveyed by a couple of them. And then they can be varied and adapted to attacks that are coming in from different angles or with a different timing or the person's a different build or my environment's different or whatever, right? That's mastery, right? Being able to take something that you learned in one context, like the bow that you used to tie your shoes, right? And understanding that's the same. It's a slip knot, right? And learning that that's the same one that you use when you're tying your gi jacket, right? Uh, closed or when you're, um, uh, tying a bow on a present, if anybody even does that anymore, right? Uh, it's, it's the same knot. Oh, really? Hmm. And then the ones that have more that come out of it, they're just more length and more loops, right? It's understanding the nature of that particular tying method or not and what it's supposed to do. And then you can use it outside of the context in which you learned it. Shoe tying. Right? How many other contexts can, right? It's the same thing. Same thing with your, your models, right? They're an example of this particular strategy, strategic thinking, tactical application, uh, and, and, uh, timing and distance thing and against a very, very specific type of attack in a very specific type of context and all that, right? So it's a model. It's a starting point. It's your bike with training wheels on the front wheel and the back wheels. And then systematically the training process starts to remove wheel, or training wheels. Okay. So anyway, um, and then the, the last one is the one that really plays on the internal not fears, right? Because I, I can relate to the guy that was learning that wants more, right? Until I realized that there's only so much you can you can work with, right? Um, then there's the one where the person wants to learn, but what they'll say is, you know, I, I want to learn just enough so I don't have to worry about it. Well, that screams laziness, okay? Because just enough usually means what I can get away with, right? What, what can I get by with, right? Well, I don't know. How are you going to be attacked? How many of them are there going to be? Where are you going to be? How old are you? Are you sick? Are you well? Are you athletic? Are you, you know, whatever. Okay? So, kind of like uh, in uh, in self-defense seminars when I say, okay, if you're being attacked, tell me some things that you could do without having to fight, right? And oh, somebody that's, uh, you know, I'm carrying some weight, but I can run, I can, you know, whatever, right? But uh, somebody that's obvious, it's, it's obvious they haven't freaking exercised since junior high school, right? And they'll go, oh, I could climb a tree or climb a fence. And maybe this is what, what stops people from, from being my students. But I look at them and I go, really? Can you, right now, if I came at you, could you climb a tree or a fence? If there was one right here, could you climb quickly to get away from me? Uh, no. Well, then you're going to have to stand and fight. Okay. What, who else, right? Uh, well, I could, uh, feign a heart attack. Okay. Have you studied what a heart attack looks like so that you can simulate it well enough to make it believable so that that would actually work? Or is it going to look like, for those of us old enough, right? Fred Sanford faking, ah, it looks like a bun coming kind of thing, right? Um, cause it's just going to look fake and they're going to, you know, just do whatever. Cause there is a psychology with criminal thugs, right? Um, they're willing to go to jail for robbing you. But they know that if you die during the commission of that crime, it's at least second degree murder. They're not willing to go to jail for that. So 
part of Nijutsu is if I fake that, even if he comes over to my freaking apparently, un, you know, unconscious body or whatever to take the wallet, I have another opportunity or I could just let it go. So there's nothing in my wallet worth dying for. Right. So, uh, you know, and he takes it and runs off. Right. Uh, that's, that's very, very different. Right. But there's a laziness factor going on. Right. And the people that this thing is, is approaching, right. Uh, it's the same when, when I was coming up through the ranks, it wasn't the online version. It was the, uh, I got a technique you can't get out of. Um, uh, yeah, if you just do this one move, right, it's unbeatable. Nobody can beat it, right? You win every fight. Well, maybe you've won every fight up to this point because you've only done three and it worked. But if you ever go up against somebody that knows it or doesn't work against or whatever, you won't be able to ever say that again, okay? Because nothing is unbeatable. I don't care what techniques you know, okay? Nothing is unbeatable. That very thing will keep you from doing dumb shit in your training, or walking around with some false sense of confidence. Okay. Um, as Hatsumi Sensei, there even has an article out there circulating, right? Pride goes before the fall. Um, but what this one does is promises one magical technique, like the online version is, on this one technique and within 30 minutes, you'll be able to defeat any attacker, right? So it plays on the, the lazy, right? So, uh, but anyway, right? It's just this, we have to be careful with these things because it does take work, right? But the reality also is that there's more than just, and that's what I've been trying to get at, right? Everybody's focusing on moves, stylized moves. Let me just throw up as many moves on you as possible that you're willing to pay me for, right? So you feel like, oh, I got, but really yet yeah, not going to practice, what, five of them? Because you just felt good, you scratched your itch because I have it, and now whenever I, whatever I've got the time, I can I can train, right? Really? How many martial arts self defense or survival techniques are on video on YouTube alone, not counting Vimeo and all these other sites that people are constantly going around and watching and all that? Okay. How many do you think they practice seriously, earnestly to actually master that technique? Yeah. So paying for it. Makes you feel better because you invested something in it, but doesn't change the process, right? So you've got these different things going on, right? But what about protecting yourself against you? And I don't mean your ignorance, like picking the wrong teacher or not practicing. I'm not talking about that, right? I'm talking about we're all well-adjusted productive members of society. At least I hope you are, right? So uh, with, you know, I've got a wife. I've got a family, right? I have businesses, right, and people that depend on me, and I'm doing good in the world and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, and, uh, you know, I have a schedule and all that, right? I mean, for anybody that knows me, right, knows that things do not hold me back or down for very long, right? Not this past December, but the December just before the COVID thing hit, right, um, I slipped on some ice, that was a quick snap that came through, right? I mean, it was warm. And then an hour and a half later, after I was off of a conference call, I stepped out my back door and stepped right down on a very, very thin layer of ice that wasn't even supposed to be there, but the weather, the, the, the uh, temperature had dropped that fast and there was like this little drizzle that was going on before it, right? I mean, it dropped 15, 20 degrees. It was, it was the oddest thing, right? Traffic accidents out the wazoo and all that. But I slipped and came down on the points of my concrete back steps and broke my back. 
right? Ended up in the hospital, ended up in rehab, right? And told him I'll be here a week and a half at the outside because now if I'm broken, I'm broken, right? You and I will both know for sure during this process, but don't treat me with kit gloves. Give me rehab because I, I chose an aggressive rehab place rather than a nursing home where because I was going to get three times as much rehab work daily at this place, which also meant it was going to hurt and all that as, as we were doing it. But I, I need to get back on my feet, right? I'm self-employed. If I don't work, I don't get paid. I don't have the luxury of going, mm, I don't feel good. I'm going to take a sick day, right? <laughs> my luxury ends when I look at myself in the mirror and that reflection goes, get your ass back to work. Your family's depending on you. Right. So anyway, um, uh, you don't have time, right? If you have a family, if you have, you know, a job, if you're self-employed, whatever, right? So you don't really have the luxury of letting PTSD and trauma throw you off track, let alone for hours, right? But days, weeks. For some people, it's been years since a traumatic thing happened, and they're still using that as the as the crutch as to why they're not successful, right? Um, but think about it, right? Just just one aspect of this is uh, my mom taught me that you know nice people don't hit. That's the irony, right? <laughs> In the martial arts, anyway, right? Nice people don't hit, right? Good people don't hit. So you got all that all that those lessons as a child, right? And we can believe that we grew past them. It's kind of like women that show up for rape defense seminars that I do. And I ask, you know, is there something, is there anything you need to tell me? It's okay. You're in a safe place, right? Uh, but I do need to know if you've ever actually been attacked because I don't need things coming back, right? And most of them will just lie and say no. And then we will do something in training. And they're on the ground screaming and kicking and then afterwards, you know, I really thought I was over it. And okay? so anyway, uh, who, who's talking about that? Who's teaching you to be, you know, that part of being the protector, right? Because I promise you, you will never be the same uh, forever afterwards. Something will change. And there will be a big part of you of you that will resist and there could be guilt, there could be shame, there could be all kinds of things. The moment you see the damage that you've done to another human being or you saw the lights of consciousness or worse, go out of their eyes. Okay. Uh, when I was in the military, I was a military policeman and I had a training group going and uh, one of the girls in the group, she was a 17 year old teenager. She was the daughter of an infantry Sergeant Major. So this guy had not only been in the military and in the infantry, which means the frontline combat troops, right, um, for 20-plus years, right, but it's in combat uh, in Korea and Vietnam. Okay, so we're talking uh, early, mid-'80s, okay? So uh, tail into Korea, probably just clean up on that, but but not, right? And so, uh, but here's this infantry guy, right? He had studied, uh, he and I ended up having this conversation. He had studied uh, some form of jujitsu for 12 years. And one night, came out of the dojo, went to the parking lot, was getting his car, and he got jumped, right? 
and blah, 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 laid this guy out. Didn't seriously damage him, but he did it, ran back to the dojo so he could, you know, get on the phone, and on the way back, it hit him. He suddenly had this realization of what he was physically capable of doing to another human being. Didn't want to have that skill and quit. Now, that's already confusing because in 12 years, you never gave any thought, right, other than somebody touches me, I'll kick their ass. See, because that's, that's ego, right? That's not you at the core, right? That's this intellectual justification of the tough guy veneer, tough girl veneer. But 12 years, you never gave that any thought. And you actually wanted to be able to do it, right? And the moment came, you were successful, but you were so traumatized, you couldn't do it again. And this is after being a combat vet. Okay, so if that happened to him, how many other people had this thing waiting beneath the surface for them to actually do what they need to do to protect themselves or the family or somebody else, watch that light go out or watch that arm break or whatever, and not pee themselves, throw up, be traumatized for hours, days, weeks, whatever, right? So that's one thing, right? I believe that should be a part of fundamentals, the foundation of the training, right? That's in my basic, basic training, right? Why? Because, one, people doubt whether or not they can do it, no matter how much they've learned, right? I've had black belts look at me and go, I've learned all this stuff, but, man, I'm, I know me when, I, when I'm in a, in a pressure situation or I'm in an argument or whatever. I've learned all this stuff, and I know I have the belt, but I, I don't know that I'll actually be able to do it. And they were actually brave enough to verbalize it and tell me how many people are not but have that same doubt, right? So that's something I believe a, a foundational program should be helping somebody work through and, and be able to handle right, to develop the confidence to be able to do those kind of things, right? And you don't do that through learning more techniques. You do that by setting up, like, drills that allow them to feel a little bit of pressure and know under pressure is my come coming out the way it's supposed to come out, right? And we add some more pressure, right? Is it happening, right? What's my thinking and processes happening? Everything freezing up and locking? So I have to do it so the experience allows me to get through that, freeze part of fight, flight, or freeze, right? Until I'm actually able to do this stuff. But it has to be pressure tested. Safely in the beginning, but it, it has to be pressure tested, right? So there's that. But there's also the, the question I get from people, like, how do I keep from going to jail or getting sued by this guy if I had to protect myself, right? How do I know that, you know, how do I know what to say? How do I, how do I make sure that I'm staying within the self-defense paradigm? Because if you look at a lot of these martial, martial arts systems or self-defense systems, right, it's all about ground and pound, right? The focus is on winning. Damn it, he touched me, he offended me, he attacked me or whatever. Pow! No thought given whatsoever to the amount of video cameras that will be on them, collecting evidence, and, right, listening to what the words coming out of their mouth during the attack, after the attack, whatever, right? So one of the questions is, you know, how do I stay out of jail? How do I protect myself after the fact, right? That needs to be a part of the basics. That needs to be part of the foundational part of training, not more techniques. That is a technique. Staying out of jail after you've saved your ass or protected your family? Who's going to protect him after you're in jail? Who's going to protect him when you're in the morgue, right? 
but that the stuff is either given lip service or no thought at all. It's just it's crap. But I believe that you know is is up front. Anyway, so uh, that, that's the stuff that people really need to to you know really focusing on. Um, I probably should have hit the chat button earlier just to see if anybody was sending me messages. Uh, I've seen a bunch of people on. Some people were on. Some people were off. And keeps changing and all that. But um, anyway, what I did learn was that changing the time uh, frame for when I'm on didn't have any more people on than were on for mid-afternoon. Might have been different people, but anyway. And I'll, I'll process this and get the video or the, the end piece out and all that stuff. So people can watch it later if it doesn't end up where it's supposed to be. But anyway, so let me know, right? Um, I'm going to be uh, closing this out because I do want to see my wife and remind her that like, I know her and like her with really, really busy schedules. So um, I'm going to wrap this up. But uh, leave comments uh, on whatever platform you're on right underneath the video. Right? If some of this resonated, if it was helpful. Um, what are some of the other things? that uh, two, two, two sides to this, two parts to this question. What are some of the other things that you have encountered, either in what you're doing or in other things that you've done, that just makes you go, hmm, I don't know, okay? And there's really three, three, uh, three variables to that, right? It could be about the vehicle, right, about the program, the style, the art, or whatever. I don't know if that would work against XYZ technique, move, whatever, right? Or um, it could be about the internal thing, right? I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could do that, right? I don't know if I could do that. That thing with another human being, right? Or there's an external component to this, right? Um, I don't know, given my job, given you know conditions or whatever, that I would still have a job after I did something like that. I don't know that I would still have family that loved me or were not now terrified of me if I did something like that or whatever, right? So what are these, you know, what are the things that kind of make you go, mm, I don't know, right? Um, or... Uh, things that you think uh, are missing, right, that are missing, that really needs, that there needs to be more, uh, oh, thanks. <laughs> and somebody say, happy to see you back. Awesome. Uh, so glad to be back. Uh, but anyway, um, wh what are some things that you think need more than lip service or more than, uh, or that just are not covered well enough that people should be aware of when it comes to, uh, self-protection. Those are saying self-protection. Right? I'm not talking about karate moves or self-defense techniques or whatever, right? Because, um, uh, you know, moves are moves. There's only so many things you can do to the human body and so many things you can do with the human body, right? Everybody has their approach because the approach was to keep it secret so that you had your things that everybody else didn't know, so you had to surprise in the fight. Now all the martial arts are out in the open. <laughs> it's kind of like Victoria's Secrets, right? If you know that store that I'm talking about, right? Victoria doesn't have so many secrets. <laughs> Not a lot at all, right? But anyway, right? So um, what, what, do you, what do you think needs more attention, 
just generally all the way around, right? I really like to know. So if you're on Facebook, you can put it there. If you're on the YouTube side, you can put it there. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have to look more into Twitter Periscope. I'm there because I have a presence on Twitter, and this is the way it kind of works in that direction. But if there is a comment section, you can put it there. Uh, again, same, uh, you know, if you have other questions, too, that, that'd be great, questions, comments, whatever. Um, again, same promise I've been making since day one. Uh, I try to read them all. I try to get to them all. Uh, but based on my schedule and what's going on, all that kind of stuff, and the amount that comes in, both through email, daily, and, and all that, um, I can't make promises that I will physically be able to answer all of them. You know, maybe hit the like button or a smiley face or good observation. I, I try to at least do things like that, but I can't make that guarantee just because I've got so much going on between this uh, my online uh, training students with the academy and my consulting uh, stuff, and then try to still be dad and father and all that. So um, hope you understand. So anyway, that's it. Um, episode 72 in the can, right, as they say. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up, and uh, let me just prep here for wrapping it up. Uh, so, you know, if you have any questions, if you have topics that you think that you, uh, you know, you'd like for me to cover, uh, those kind of things. And that, that's the other thing, too, with questions and comments, uh, if something is, um, if something is, uh, you know, really stands out, really resonates as, um, as something that, uh, I, I think needs some extra time and all that, right? I mean, uh, obviously if it stands out that deeply, uh, I'll definitely try to get you something back as, at least as an expedient to help you out. But, um, if it's something that's, that you know, I think needs to go into much more deeply, um, I'll make it a topic for one of the episodes. So uh, no worries. So by all means, follow along. Um, uh, the, the episodes and the the, uh, uh, the past episodes and all that, right? So we're over on ModernNinjaWarrior.com, uh, right? ModernNinjaWarrior, all one string, .com, forward slash kuden dash podcast dash episodes, right? Uh, the first 68 are there, right? Uh, we're also on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and I just searched the other day, and uh, there's still way too many for you to remember, right? We're on a whole bunch of podcast platforms. Um, so you can follow us there. The new episodes we haven't gotten uploaded yet, right? So that's going to be coming here in the next week or so to get these new things up in those directions. But uh, I have been uh, sending out the, the links, so hopefully you're on the uh, the email addresses or the email things and all that, or uh, on Facebook, uh, online ninja training. There's a Kuden podcast uh, group. Uh, you can follow me, right? Uh, Jeffrey Miller. <laughs> I think I'm Jeffrey M. Miller, something like that. Might even be Jeffrey M. Miller too, for all I know, because Miller is a common name. Uh, uh, yeah. So anyway, right. So, um, stay in touch, right. And, and we'll, we'll enjoy this ride together. All right. So again, like I said, over the weekend here, at some point, uh, no later than Monday, I should be releasing uh, the uh, Foundations of Ninja Self-Defense 2.0, 3.0, whatever the heck it is, right? Uh, but uh, I've, it's it's this new thing. It's the, the core program is the core program. I mean, it's the stuff that I really do believe technique-wise that people need, right? But there's this other stuff, right? How to stay out of jail, all, all those kind of things, right? That I think people absolutely need. And the mature, honest, self-defense, survival-oriented person that's not just looking to be, 
kingship with a belt or, you know, trophies or whatever, right? Um, that really understands that you're protecting yourself and there's repercussions that go beyond that actual moment where somebody threw a punch at you or tried to stab you or whatever, right? Uh, that's, that's who, that's, that's who I'm making programs for, right? I mean, if you just want to fight, you can learn that from anybody, right? So. Anyway, all right, so that's it. Uh, let's just wrap this up and make it official. Get more of Pudan Radio. Subscribe to your favorite podcasting site or subscribe at ModernNinjaWarrior.com.